Welcome to Modern Sales, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business owners, and salespeople looking to have more and better conversations with your perfect clients. You'll get a healthy scoop of psychology, behavioral economics, and sales studies to help you create win-win relationships. I'm your host, Liston Witherell, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Modern Sales. Today, I have Ben back, Ben Chaffetz, that's the American pronunciation of his name because I can't say it properly, but Ben is back. This is part two of my interview with Ben. If you didn't hear part one, be sure to go and download the last episode, listen to that first, but we're going to jump right back into the conversation. Ben, you ready to do this? Yeah, I'm absolutely ready. Wonderful. So in the last episode where we left off is you were talking about how in your pre-qualification, you determine what your client's past has been. Often that includes they've been burned by a different agency in the past. They come in with some baggage. And I'm wondering, do you have a process to deal with that? Or how do you think about dealing with that in the case that you still do want to work with this person? It comes down to first off, anyone who is involved in consulting, anyone who has been involved with consulting, anyone who's getting involved with consulting should know the following. Anyone who has been involved in consulting or has their own company already most likely knows this. So, but the bottom line is not every single person who wants to hire you is going to be a good fit for you, right? And you're not necessarily going to be a good fit for them. And so you need to identify some pre-qualifications. Is this an opportunity that I want to get involved with, right? Why? I would imagine if I asked people to raise their hand and say, how many prospective sales cycles have they been in where they put in an inordinate amount of work, you know, to try to buy the client's goodwill and it doesn't lead anywhere, right? Or how many prospective clients have called up with an emergency need? I need this now. Drop everything. I heard about you and I'm ready to go. And you stop everything and send them a proposal and suddenly you're waiting back. <laughs> this emergency suddenly is good enough to wait for a week, two weeks, three weeks, five weeks. Hey, you still have the emergency. You're sending it like seven weeks later. You feel like an idiot. So having a pre-qualification cycle is huge and identifying, looking at your past client experiences and really identifying what it is that disqualifies someone from being a great prospect. So we, when we have those, I mean, examples of that would be too many cooks in the kitchen. If there's no clear decision maker or uh, stakeholder, those are huge flags for us. Are we not going to necessarily take that job? No, but we'll, it's definitely going to factor in. But is there a budget there? That's a great question. I mean, that, that should be in every company's first thing in qualifying the budget. And you can, there's different ways to qualify budget. And you can Google, how do I qualify, you know, a prospect's budget? And you'll see tons of articles and different ways to approach that and bring that up. But now to go back to the question of what do I do if someone has baggage coming in? How do you retrain a client who's not happy? The first thing is like this. With part of any relationship, right, is setting expectations. If you do think about the times, or at least a portion of the times that you've had a rough time in any relationship, it's usually because of misaligned expectations. Whether it's on a personal level, someone expects you to do something, or there was a certain expectation, or on a professional level with that same type of misaligned expectations, that always creates an issue. So part of our process when we're speaking to a client is we won't say something that we're not comfortable saying just to get a deal. We just won't because you're going to have to face that and eat that later. And unless you're really prepared to do that, don't say it. Don't say, oh, yeah, this won't be a problem. We can make this work. Oh, that's going to be totally simple. Yeah, let's get in and we'll, we'll start working on that. Because if you think it's not going to be simple, you know, just be straight. Either say, I don't have enough information. 
I'll need to get that information. And then if you say that, you have to be prepared to say, you have to make that calculation. In order to get that information, do I want to put the time in as part of the sales cycle? Do I want to be part-time and have him pay for some of the time? So there's, but when it comes to having a client who has a baggage or there's a poor relationship, one of the first aspects is really understand that there's different personalities for different people. And you have to make sure that that's not a personality mismatch. I'll give an example of that. So we do psychological assessments. We send clients, many times we send them a psychological assessment. We have a third-party company called PDP. We send the client an assessment and we get an, a, an overview of the client's personality, how extroverted or introverted he is, what's his level of logic versus feeling, energy level of conformity versus spontaneousness or nonconformity. You know, these are different metrics that we look at. And so I remember once we had a client who was just, Every email we sent him, he was just tearing us back, like a big email, like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? So we went back to the personality assessment. We realized that this person had a very, very, very high level of conformity and some other factors. And we looked at it and we realized that if we felt that if we really dialed up the amount of communication and the amount of pre-warning so that nothing was coming as a surprise. So you'd say, on Monday, you get, this is what we're going to be doing this week. And then at the end of Monday, here's what's going to happen tomorrow. So when it happens, there was no like, why'd you do this? What's going on? What's that? What's this? It virtually eliminated the problem. I mean, it was dead on. The emails, the whole tone changed. That's one aspect. But then sometimes you have people who really are just, they're not, they're either you can't make them happy or they're just, you can't get them past other experiences they've had with other agencies, no matter what you do. And then you, you got to cut them loose. I would agree with that. I find that even if a client is profitable from a revenue standpoint, there's an emotional cost to working with any client that I have. And so if that cost starts to increase or you just can't seem to minimize it, there's probably a mismatch there. And so it's time to let them go and move on. I totally agree. Now, one thing you mentioned in the last episode, and you said it very flippantly, Ben, I got to call you out on this because I want to know the secret. You said clients are the easy part. And one thing that it says in the bio that I read for you is that you're single-handedly, or at least you're mostly responsible for filling the pipeline at 121 e-commerce. So where do your clients come from? What are you doing in order to get plenty of leads and fill your pipeline? Whether you want to take this as a religious sentiment or not, I will tell you that on an average month, I could have 40 conversations with prospective clients. And then the following month, I could sign three to four big deals. And not one of those deals was a conversation I had with anybody the last month or the month before. So like what I've learned is over sales, I'll put some more exact signs and I'll explain a little bit more about how we fill our, try to fill our sales pipeline. But what I have learned is that you can only do what you can do, right? Sales for me is like one of the most relaxing aspects of my job because after I send out a proposal, right? I can't force a client to sign. I can't force how the guy internally speaks to the decision-making process. I can't control what other proposals they get in from other agencies. I can't control any aspects of any predilections or personalities that are involved with the client that may determine that, right? So all I can do is really focus on understanding the client's needs, documenting it as best as possible, documenting a solution, putting it together in a clear, easy proposal, sending that proposal over, and setting clear expectations as to what timeline we need to be able to close that. But beyond that, there's nothing I can do. Right. And so once I'm done with that process, it's really almost out of my head. You put a notation in my CRM to check back in and work that sales funnel. But sales really, the more sales activity that you engage in, the more results you'll see. 
And the more you put yourself out there, the more you see. If you do nothing, you'll see nothing from that. But don't for a second think that you're driving those sales because you'll find that, again, the deals that are coming in are not the deals that you were working on. And the opportunities and the best clients that come into play are usually not the ones that you had a direct hand in at all. To answer your question, now that I said that, because I in no way can take credit for, <laughs> for filling our sales pipeline, because again, it's really, after I send the proposal, very little is in, under my control. We really take two approaches to our sales. The first is we have an outbound sales team, which is really an SDR cold sales team that will reach out to companies that we've targeted as fit the profile of a company that we feel we can have success with, right? Is on this so-and-so platform, does X revenue a year, has X amount of SKUs in this industry, and any other kind of indicators that we can use based on data tools that we have. We'll approach that person through a combination of cold emails and, and using an SDR, sales development rep, to sit, reach out and set an appointment with an AE. And then we use some form of inbound marketing like uh, HubSpot. Well, we use HubSpot to track that interaction and then gauge how the potential interest of any prospect that has any kind of further touch points after that initial email. You, you with me so far? I'm totally with you. That's one. The second one is I heard Gary Vaynerchuk several years ago at a conference, and he said one thing that is probably the number one thing that we focused on in this company. He said, if you build a company and you want to make money and you focus on making money, you're not going to make a cent. If you build a company and you focus on bringing value, you will make money. So we bring value. You know, we bring value to partners. So we'll find partners that are not necessarily in direct competition with us. We will send even prospects. I have many times I'll speak to a prospective client and they'll tell me their issue. And I'll say, dude, it really sucks. It doesn't sound like you can use a good developer, but it sounds like you're really, really hurting for SEO or for SEM or for hosting. And I'll send them to one of the, you know, the companies we have a relationship with. Okay. And so that gives you mutual referral partners? Like you scratch their back, they scratch yours kind of thing? It gives me mutual referral partners, but it also creates a trust. I can't tell you how many deals, like I've had deals that come back to me two years later. Totally. Like, hey, thanks so much for sending me to this company for my SEO two years ago. We're, we're ready to re redo our site, you know, and we just thought of you. So yeah, it does both. It creates a good way out there. And then you develop relationships with reps at certain partner companies, then they go to another company, they bring that relationship. So now you've amplified that. But the bottom line is, again, I don't think I could say better than Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, if you focus on creating value, you'll do well. And it doesn't mean do work for free. That comes down to the setting the expectations part. There's no one whose time is more valuable than your own time. And when I first came, by the way, this was a huge learning curve for me. Keep in mind, I came from the client side. I didn't do sales. It's not like I was a salesman at the other company. I didn't do any sales. When I came over, I'd speak to the client and they'd say, well, you know, and I'd say, look, look at your e-commerce site. The usability is all crappy. And I'd break it down. He's like, well, what do you want our site to look like? And, you know, I remember the first year, I'd be like, okay, I'll design a site for you. I'd be like, tell someone, you know, let's show them what a new site would look like. It's like, great, thanks. I'll give it to my developers. Thanks, bye. <laughs> you know, like, oh, oh, you <laughs> you know, so you have to be smart. You have to also get a feel. I think we have a basic metric that we won't put more than 12 to 15 hours into a prospect before we tell them, okay, time to pay up. That makes total sense. And I agree with you. Like one thing I tell all of my clients and certainly my listeners here are sick of hearing me say, serve, don't sell, right? So we're in the service business as consultants and it's crucial to be in service to your clients, but that doesn't mean you're giving up your valuable time and expertise for absolutely no return. There has to be a line there. And if people want continued service, they also have to put some skin in the game and invest in you to move forward. So totally agree with you there. 
Now let's talk Cleveland, shall we? Yes. You're in Cleveland, Ohio, which hopefully it's not a stretch for me to say not known as the hotbed of tech talent and marketing talent in the world. What sort of challenges do you have both working with clients from Cleveland? Because it sounds like you do work with clients anywhere and challenges that you have actually recruiting people to work for you. Very little. Cleveland's not a hotbed of technology, although I think it's a wonderful place to live. You know, I moved here from New York and I worked in LA for 10 years. So I'm very familiar with both. And I can tell you that the pace of life, it's a different lifestyle. It's mm-hmm. you know, than being in New York City. And anyone listening to this would probably say, hey, no, no, you know, but, uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, in terms of recruiting as a company, depending, we obviously hire for different positions. So I can have client facing positions and then we have developers and project managers and, and developers are really, I think probably the hardest because they're when, when we hire for other positions that are not a developer for us, experience is really irrelevant. We look for attitude cooperation, aptitude, those are the primary things. And if they have that kind of mix, then we have a good training program. We've done, we can get someone up to speed probably in about six weeks. And they have that drive. We're pretty slow to hire. We're pretty fast to fire. If it's not a fit, it's not a fit. We're just set very clear expectations. On the developer side, it's harder because you can't just say, I'm going to hire a car mechanic and he's the best attitude in the world and the hardest worker, but the time to turn him into a developer and whether he's got the aptitude for development are, is very different. That's not the same. So there, you know, we have to test their skill sets and then also they have to work on a team and we're very, very team focused. We don't really have anyone who doesn't understand that he can sometimes accomplish more and that there's no shame that this guy can do this job in half the time you can, but you can do this things in half the time he can too, you know, and you can learn from each other. Excellent. Now, I did promise at the end of the last episode that I would ask you, what's your biggest challenge in your business right now? For us, the big challenge that we still have, it's still predicting workflow, predicting the flow of work coming in and trying to mesh that with a pipeline. So what that means is like this. If I've got, let's say in a given month, if I have, let's say 2000 hours of development time that I can book out, right? And you know, and I've got a pipeline that I feel it should be 2,500 hours, right? That's great. That's wonderful. But then certain clients, let's say a client has a baby, gets engaged, there's a blocker, there's a third party. And now suddenly my 2,500 hours becomes 1,600 hours because I'm blocked for that month. It's like still learning to deal with that ebb and flow is always hard. Like that projecting the, that flow. And we have tools and we're working and getting better. And we're, that's still a hard learning curve for me. And then also just managing, uh, I think, life and a work-life balance is something I'm very poor at. Ask any of my kids. That's always, I think, a big challenge. I think everyone else in the company does a good job, thank God, and they didn't inherit that. I think that's a carryover from my last job. But time management, man, it's so hard to get everything you want to get done. Okay, so a better answer would be the biggest challenge as a company and one that we've been focusing on for 2018. And if you follow up with me in three more months, I'll tell you how we did. But our focus for 2018 was to not be a reactive company. So what that means is that on a given day, you say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to get this and this done. I really want to do this and this. But then tomorrow comes and you had this phone call and that phone call, you got this email, you work on that email. And then what you want to do today, you know, goes to tomorrow. And then you never do those proactive things. You never say, here's how I'm going to improve my proposal process. Here's how I'm going to make my developers better. Here's how I'm going to do better reporting. Here's how I'm going to do better client communication, right? And you never actually do those proactive projects that you want to do. After 2017 was really a reactive year, 
we said, damn it, 2018, we don't care. We're carving out the time. And we made a list of all the projects we wanted to do in 2018, and we've added it to the year. And we've been focusing on trying to carve out proactive time. That, I think, is the biggest challenge. And again, you can ask me in a couple of months after the end of 2018. I'll let you know how we did. But yeah, I think that's really it. Okay. So listeners, I am going to reach out to Ben and I am going to make him tell me what happened with this 2018 focus. So Ben, I love what you said. You don't want to be a reactive company. And one thing, whenever I talk to people who say something like that or some version of that, because I think a lot of us think that, there are all these things I know I should be doing to build the company that I want. Unfortunately, I'm having to react to fires, clients, fill in the blank, right? There are all these other forces that I'm reacting to. And what I always say is, okay, if you don't want to be reactive and you want to transform into a proactive company, what are you going to give up? I'm wondering, how did you deal with that question? As a development company, we've drilled into everyone who works here the concept of WIP, uh, work in progress, right? Which is very simple. If you have eight hours in a day and you ask someone to do work, you can't ask them to do more than eight hours. And if you do say that, no, this has to get done, then what has to come out, right? What is coming out of that? The first step is I tell people all the time and our managers tell their people all the time. If I ask you to do something and you think that I'm asking you to do too much, come back to me and tell me what's on your plate and we'll take one of the other things out. Don't think that I'm telling you that you have to do this and something else if it's not realistic, because that's not realistic. I think the first thing is to really understand what you are spending your time on. And then two, to really prioritize it. And there are times that I've had, not necessarily, definitely not when there's a client emergency, but there are times when I've told someone, I don't care what comes up the next two days, you're put on your autoresponder, you, want, you technically went on vacation, you are doing, you're focusing on this for two days. And they do. They'll ask me if they can do that themselves. I get routinely asked by, I guess, the top managers in my company, can I take off these two days to work on this? Can I work from home for these two days so I can just focus only on this? So you have to be able to make that sacrifice. You can't be unrealistic and and expect that people can do both. It's one or the other. There's X amount of time and there's only so many things that will fit in the box. And if you want to push something else in there, you've got to take something else out. Exactly. I totally agree. All right. So Ben, lightning round here. We're coming to the end of our time together. And I want to know what is one book you recommend? It's a very hard answer to give. There's a lot of good books out there. I personally was a big fan of the E-Myth or E-Myth Resident. Michael Gerber. Yep. That's really one of my favorite books. I think that was great. We're a big fan of Seven Habits. The whole company, we had Seven Habits come to our offices and do a two-day seminar on site this year. And that was phenomenal. Big fan of that. I got to tell you, HubSpot puts out a lot of great articles. I read a lot of the articles on HubSpot. It's one of my favorite places to go, articles. And then I have to stay kind in industry news, but there's not a lot of books that come out. Like I find that a lot of the management books that come out, they have some aspects that are really relevant and some aspects that are not. But I think it depends on your business. I think it depends on your own personality. And each person is going to find something that they connect with differently. So it's a little hard. I think the E-Myth was the most well-rounded. I've read a lot of the management books out there and none of them like really stick in my head and say, oh my God, that was life-changing. Oh, you know which one was really great? I think it was Predictive Revenue. Predictable Revenue, Aaron Ross. Yes. Yeah. I read that like three years ago, four years ago. Mm -hmm. That was great. That one really uh, just changed my whole mentality on my time. I think I was making cold calls before then. You know, like sit there and like, hey, can I speak there? And I was like, holy shit, why am I doing that? 
<laughs> and I'm guessing that some version of that is the blueprint for your SDR team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Then HubSpot and Brian Kuzberger, I mean, they're both names that are very prominent out there, that methodology, but it's changed and it's evolved and you constantly have to work with it. That's why I, I wrote down the name Sujan Patel, because I'm definitely going to be looking at what program he made. What is one tool that you couldn't live without in your business? Could be software, could be something that sits on your desk. Initially, if you're looking for someone from a really proactive standpoint, I would say a timer. I can't tell you how many times I've used and I've had and I've trained all many of my people to use an egg timer. Uh-huh. Pomodoro? Yeah, Pomodoro method. That's it. Yep. If you don't want to do something, force yourself to do it for 10 minutes. If you like doing something and you feel like that's going to suck up all your time, like email, <laughs> uh-huh. set a timer. Don't let yourself do it for more than 30 minutes. A timer is the concept of time and, and your time being valuable. Nothing's going to illustrate it better than a timer. So yeah, uh, timers are super important. Love that. And you're the first person to say that. So thank you, Ben. I know that some people listening to this will want to follow up with you, learn more about your company. The domain for Ben's website is 121, the numbers, 121ecommerce.com. And what should people do if they wanted to connect with you, Ben? Yeah, shoot me an email. And what's that email address? Ben at 121ecommerce.com. Thanks again to my guest, Ben, for being here today. You can check him out at 121ecommerce.com. And I wanted to thank you for listening to part two out of two episodes that I had with Ben. I really appreciate that you're here. If you got something out of today's episode, please tell someone, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And I hope you have a fantastic day. See you next time.